you know, I, I can only speak for myself, but I truly believe every actor, you know, is seeking validation. So that was just an extreme moment of validation. And then I went to the event and all these people hugged me and asked questions and took pictures with me and paid for my autograph. Like, I'll give it to you for free. Are you kidding? (laughs) That's Risa Dorkin. She's an actress who is best known for playing nurse Amy Driscoll on TV's longest running soap opera, General Hospital. And I'm Joel Lehman. Welcome to Connection Request, episode five. If this is the first episode you're listening to, a special welcome to you. This is a show that digs into career journeys, and already we've heard from a business executive, coffee entrepreneur, and journalist. And in last week's episode, we heard from LA-based singer-songwriter Eric Radloff. Well, today we're keeping with the LA theme and talking to Risa Dorkin, who is also based in LA. After going to theater school in New York, she worked as a background actor on Boardwalk Empire, eventually moving to L.A. using her humorous chops to work her way through the groundlings. She then landed one of her first major roles in a YouTube short with Shane Dawson. But what most fans know and love her for is her portrayal of nurse Amy Driscoll, who she's played in more than 100 episodes of General Hospital, which just celebrated its 60th anniversary. As you'll hear us talk about, I also went to middle school and high school with Theresa and had the great pleasure of getting to act with her and hang out in marching band, as she reminds me, too. I followed her career from afar, and I really wanted to dig into what it's actually like to work in Hollywood, an industry known for being highly competitive and full of so many ups and downs. She was so incredibly honest, open, and vulnerable. And as you'll hear her say, she doesn't feel like she's reached the pinnacle of her career just yet. She also is incredibly open about her journey with bipolar. Stick around for the coda, where I'll share a little bit about my own journey with mental health. And finally, just two quick housekeeping notes. First of all, you may notice we're trying something new this week. We are publishing the full video of this interview, so you can head on over to YouTube if you're a person who likes facial expressions. And if you're watching this on YouTube now, hello, welcome to you. Secondly, I announced yesterday that I'm starting a new content and consulting company called Shrug Content, and this podcast is a big part of it, and we're about to launch a second podcast next week with the very talented author and ESG expert, Kisa Shreen. More to come on that, and also you can learn more about what we're up to at shrugcontent.com. Okay, here's my conversation with Risa Dorkin. Thank you for having me. I'm genuinely honored. I am genuinely honored and also really excited to talk to you because we've known each other a long time, but we have not talked to each other in a long time. And I'm just excited to catch up with you. So thank you for making time to do this in your day. Will you start off? Just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do in your own words. My name is Risa Dorkin. Legally, I'm Risa Clark because my husband is the love of my life, but we were so far deep into the entertainment industry when I did get married that I stayed Risa Dorkin. So I am known as Risa Dorkin. I am a soap actress. I'm an actress in general, but most well-known for being on General Hospital. I originated in stage and then transitioned to film and TV. 
I'm originally from Minnesota, went to school in New York City, and then moved to Los Angeles. We'll probably get into bits and pieces of all that, but full disclosure, so we did know each other a long time ago. Did we go to middle school together? In, I was going to ask well you that. You went to Falcon, yeah? Yes, yes. And so theoretically, we would have acted together at that time. Anyways, we've known each other a long time. Let's go back because that's where our journey began together. Uh -huh. And it's also where your journey as an actress began. You, if I have it right, started acting professionally in the sixth grade. And I've listened to interviews of you tell your story before. And it, it seems like you just always wanted to do this and be on stage from the moment you like started that journey. So t tell us a little bit about Risa back in those days and kind of how you got started. Yeah, I was really fortunate to have parents that supported my interests and my passions. As, as soon as I could talk or walk, I was doing living room performances at every major holiday for all my extended family. So they signed me up for dance class. I took tap, jazz, and ballet from a young age. And then eventually I decided I wanted to take voice lessons. I blame a lot of that on the Disney Channel. I, I was watching a lot of That's So Raven and different things at the time and got into voice lessons. And I just loved it. I, there was never a time where that wasn't the goal. I never had to ponder what I wanted to pursue from a young age. That's what I loved. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. In middle school, I started auditioning outside of, well, I did this school performances in third, fourth, fifth grade, you know, you go in the cafeteria and the parents come and you sing jingle bells and play the tambourine. And so I did that through my whole childhood. But then as soon as I basically could, I started auditioning outside of school around Minneapolis because Minneapolis has an amazing theater scene. So there's lots of opportunity. So yes, I auditioned and started doing shows outside of school. And one of the biggest validating moments of my childhood was my school took a class trip to go see one of my performances of Young Lindy, which was a musical about Charles Lindbergh. And so it was a touch educational, but I was just thrilled to have my class there. And there was like a correlating worksheet that went with it. So it was a big time. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's big to do something like to start at that age and get that kind of professional experience starting then and just like continue on that for as many years as you have. Yeah, that stands out as a big moment for me where I was like, wow, people notice this. They think I'm good at this and I can do this. Yeah. And so then I went into high school and that's where we really connected. I have a lot of memories that involve you and the shows Likewise. we did in high school. Our high school was like pretty well known for doing very high quality productions and it was competitive. You had to audition for the roles and nobody knew who was going to be what or if you would even get in. They'd do the dramatic list, cast list posting on the wall and you'd run up and see what happened. So that was a point in my life where I was auditioning for all these shows in high school and I loved it. I felt I felt like I took it way more serious than a lot of our peers. And so I continued to do those shows 
but I was never the lead. I was always a great character role or in the ensemble. And I would do my best with the step touches and the little choreography we were given. Jine, daddy, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was frustrating. It was frustrating because I cared so much and other people were there to be seen by their teachers or to make their parents laugh or, yeah. And I was, was I one of those people that probably wasn't taking it seriously enough in comparison to you, probably not. Now I'm getting a little bit guilty. No, but if, I mean, I, my a couple of things. My memory of you is you absolutely did light up any room and stage you were in. You were my memory of you taking it more seriously is I just feel like lucky to have been a part of those things. And like, I worked hard, don't get me wrong. And like, I, I felt talented at the time, but I like people like you and some of our other peers who have also gone on to be professional actors. I felt like really took the craft of acting and performing really seriously. Like you could tell, I don't know, you're just light years ahead of us. That's how well, I mean, even being at the school we were at exposed to the things we were exposed to, we were a head start from anyone else in Minnesota, for sure, because we had teachers who took it serious. And I remember those weekend rehearsals doing character development and laying on the floor and working on breathing and working on posture. And people mm. weren't doing those things for their school plays. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that until I went on to pursue acting academically and educationally. And I was like, oh, wait, I know a lot of this. Yeah, I still have really fond memories of putting sandbags around my feet to because it was supposed to make me like our teacher, Scott Rocha was like, you're supposed to be like an old man in this. It was Tevia. And you're like walking around like a young person. And so yeah. he put sandbags on my feet to drag me down and feel like I had the weight of a. And I, yeah, at the time I was like, oh, yeah, everybody does this. But it's yeah. interesting to hear your perspective now as a professional in this space and having gotten to see what everybody else was working with that, I guess, Minnesota in general, and I guess the community we grew up in had a really special program. Yeah. And see, I remember those moments. I remember you doing that. And I was so jealous because you were the lead of the show. And I saw how hands-on our directors were with mm. the stars of our mm. school. And mm. yeah, I craved that. And I sat there and I took notes. I have notebooks from high school already talking about technique and yeah. character development and script analysis. And yeah, but so uh -huh. I was getting more and more frustrated at school with the opportunities that I was being presented. So I went outside of school to the fabulous Minneapolis theater scene. And yeah. I started auditioning outside of school for the Children's Theater, Youth Performance Company, Stepping Stone Theater. And that also was very competitive because, like I said, Minnesota produces so many phenomenal performers that go on to have amazing careers. People sure. that we went to high school with, like you said, and you think you're the best at your school or you shine at your school, you go downtown and you audition and really quickly, you're a small fish in a big pond. So I was honored to be in those choruses because... Well, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say, meanwhile, you land in the world premiere stage production of High School Musical? That's Soph crazy. Yeah. Sophomore year of high school, 
I got into Disney's High School Musical as Martha Cox, the hip-hop dancing brainiac. Yeah. And it was, again, a really defining moment in my life. We did over, I think, 177 performances. And I feel sorry for my understudy because I refused to take a performance off. <laughs> I never took a day off because I'd be surprised by someone in the audience or I would find a little moment that I wanted to try in the show. Or there was always a reason for me doing that performance that I was not going to miss that day. Yeah. So that had to feel validating at that time of even if you're maybe not getting the parts you want in high school. I don't mean to minimize any of this, so you correct me, but but now you're doing this professional thing and being a part of something that to me sounds like a really special opportunity and would lead on to other things. I don't know. Did that feel at the time like validating to have yeah. this other place that you were also acting and doing it professionally? Yeah. I mean, it was really eye-opening because it was my first time working with equity actors. All the adults in the show were in the union. So that already took it to another level. And the costumes, the production team, it just was real deal. And being a part of it, you knew that you, in Minnesota, at least made it. We performed, yeah. we performed at the Ivy Awards, which is like our Tony Awards. We performed on news shows. We toured. Yeah. So yeah, it was a really defining moment where I was like, I am professional. And this is a career that I can continue to do. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been helpful in like helping. You. I mean, there's a lot of people who say I'm going to be an actor and actress when I grow up. It's another thing to actually go and do that. That to have access to that world early on must have been helpful to to see that future, I'd imagine. That yeah. that makes me think I actually, anytime I interview someone, I always like to ask other people who know them what I should ask them about. So I asked a mutual friend of ours who will rename Nameless for now. Oh, God. And he advised me to ask about some of the hard decisions you had to make in high school of being in our high school shows versus being in some of those professional opportunities. I didn't like, I didn't really remember that you had to make those decisions, but I probably just saw one side of things. But what was that like? And yeah, how did it affect your future path? Okay. First of all, I wouldn't say it was a decision. I, the, I don't, first of all, I don't take a second of how fortunate I've been for granted because not everybody gets to, or gets to know or does know from an early age what their passions are and get to continue to pursue them because of finances or where they're living or there's so many reasons. So the fact that I got to grow up or was able to grow up doing what I want to do and then hmm. move on to it, I felt every second very fortunate and I still do. But yeah, when I did High School Musical, there was the original run and then it was a wild success. We sold out every performance and added daytime shows for schools and it got very time consuming and I missed a lot of school. I don't remember how many days altogether, but I would do about two days of school at our public school in Minnesota and the rest I would be at the theater doing performances. And I was never behind on school. I always, I would ask for my assignments in class. I was a really good student. Teachers liked me and my grades never suffered. 
But the fact of the matter was, if you miss more than 11 days of school in Minnesota, they can't let you graduate. It doesn't matter if you pass your classes. It doesn't matter who likes you. They will not let you graduate. So that was really challenging. My parents went to bat for me with a lot of people in the school district. And so I knew going into, I believe, my junior year that I wasn't going to graduate on time. So that I buckled down and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be punished for doing what I think I'm going to do the rest of my life. So I continued to audition for shows outside of school at the Children's Theater. I did another production called Fashion 47, directed by Broadway director Diane Paulus. And again, I wouldn't trade that experience yeah. in a million years. And, but yeah, that year I got put on, so that would be going in my junior year. I got put on what they call performance probation and at our school, which meant you had to sit out the next two shows because... I don't know. I have a lot of theories on why. It was explained to me at the time why I couldn't participate in two shows. And to my knowledge, it's only happened to one other person in the history of our school. But um, yeah, so that was really that was really hard because I had figured out the scheduling to be able to do both. But I was told yeah. I couldn't audition. Don't bother auditioning. You won't be cast because you've chosen to pursue opportunities outside of the school. And personally, I think the school was really hurt or they take a lot of pride in their reputation and their offerings. Yeah. And I understand that. And they do an amazing job, but it was no longer a good fit for me. So I didn't feel like I should have been punished to the extent that I was. I understand rules. I, I really do. But yeah, to not understand that someone is pursuing something that they've always pursued i don't know and going after opportunities that are like ultimately in your best interests long term and yeah yes i don't think i quite realized some of those dynamics um because that's it was, rough it yeah. was it was supported to pursue travel hockey or uh, travel golf great example but for some reason the performing arts were taken very seriously and not supported, I felt, to the level that they should have been. Yeah. Okay. After high school, you headed out east and moved to New York. What Yeah. was that kind of decision-making process like? And how, as a Minnesotan living in New York, fish out of water, how did you find that? Well, kind of a little hiccup year was my year at St. Paul Conservatory. Mm -hmm because I, I didn't graduate on time, I decided to do my super senior year at the conservatory in St. Paul. And that's important only because I knew junior year that my college plans had been derailed. Sure. I always wanted to do a traditional BFA musical theater route. And so, yeah, when I found out I wasn't graduating in 2008, and that I would have to do a super senior year, there was no way I was going to return um, to Eastview. The charter school, St. Paul Conservatory for Performing Artists, they actually encourage people to pursue theater outside of school and they mm. accommodate you. 
And uh, so during my time there, I was working part-time as a receptionist because I didn't need a lot of credits because like I said, I've had great grades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd um, done all the stuff you had to do. You'd yeah. Just needed to kill another year to meet Minnesota's weird, strange. Yeah. So I, I was 18 years old. I had already done high school, but I needed some time in school to make up for those more than 11 days I missed. So I worked yeah. part-time as a receptionist there while I took classes in the afternoon and just started poking around because that was my first time really exposed, except for my castmates, to other people in the community who were pursuing this professionally and who took it at the same serious no seriousness level as I did. So I would ask around, what are your plans? Where are you going to school? And I learned so much there because everybody was a professional in training. And so I met somebody at the Children's Theater who had done the summer program at Circle in the Square Theater School. And that's like an intensive in the summer. And Circle in the Square Theater School is a school. It's the only accredited school within a Broadway theater in New York City. Cool. So... It has a long history. It was one time attached to NYU as being a private studio. But even besides that, it's a training haven for actors in New York City. And it, at one point, it had a direct route into the theater, the Circle and Square Theater. So you mm -hmm. would take the program, get your equity card, and then do shows at the theater. That wasn't going on when I was there, but uh, it has a long history of amazing credits. And so I started looking into that. I auditioned for a bunch of colleges. My goal was NYU. And what I didn't know was you had to get in to the school academically, as well as audition and get into these programs. So I traveled to about five schools, five of my top schools, and did the audition, a dance audition. You usually did two monologues, a Shakespeare and then a modern, either comedic or dramatic, and, uh, and sing a song, I think two songs. And you did that at every school. And there, there was never a match. I either got into the school or I got into the program. That summer, I went to Circle in the Square Theater School and I did the same audition. There was no dance audition, God bless, because she's a mover, not a dancer. Um, but I sang and I, I did my monologues and um, went home to Minnesota. That was my first time going to New York. So my mom and I saw some shows. We bought nuts from a guy with a cart. And yeah. Do you remember we, what shows you saw? In the Heights. In the Heights. Oh, my gosh. And we saw Lynn. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. Wow. What an experience for one of your shows to. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Jealous. So I, I'm in New York and I'm seeing a show about New York. And yeah. I was like, yup, I love it here. And I think I could live here. I don't know. I've watched a lot of friends. So I feel like I get it. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it turns out maybe wasn't the case. But uh, so I got waitlisted. I didn't get in a circle. They said, we're sorry, it's not a good fit right now. Thank you. So, bummer. I plan on still moving to New York because it's on my mind and 
maybe I can do other things. You know, there's tons of workshops and I'll yeah. take voice lessons and. It's the place to be. Yeah. For your career trajectory, like that's where you want to be. Yeah. yeah. So I get a letter in the mail and it turns out I get in and I have weeks to get there. So I'm like, okay, it's happening. Wow. And my friend Kira, who you actually know, yeah. she was already living in the city. So I had a roommate I could move in with. Cool. And she was studying at the Joffrey. So we had our little artistic community. She's a dancer. And I moved there and it rocked my world. I moved there probably two weeks, maybe a month before classes started. And we got a list of things we needed to read and things we needed to get. And I could tell based off that list that I was in over my head, that this wasn't what I had seen on Glee. You had to get, you had to get a white full face mask for mask class. You had to read an actor prepares, Uta Hagen. You had to read and, you know, you had to get jazz shoes. You had to get character shoes. You had to buy an all black outfit. You, it was just, I was like, okay. Um, so as I met with my future classmates and got to know people, I learned that this, I just, I wasn't prepared for what the program was. It's a, sure. it's a intense Stanislavski training program. Yeah. And you would work from 8 a.m. till about 7 p.m five days a week and you could not miss a class. You just couldn't. People didn't or you could be cut from the program and people were cut from the program. Wow. So it was two years of just being torn down. <laughs> truthfully, truthfully, it they told me day one, I showed up in a floral dress with my hair all curled and my makeup done and I went home a disheveled, like sobbing mess because they told me that we're going to tear everything you think you know about acting apart. And, you know, you're going to become an artist here and hone your craft. And that always stuck in my head, hone your craft. And I was like, yeah, I guess we're going to roll up our sleeves and figure this out. Yeah. And I guess how, at the time going through that, was that were you like, I just got to make it through these two years and then I'll be out? Were you, was it motivating? Was it all of the above? And then I guess question number two is like, how do you look back on that time now? Yeah, I, I felt I was in it extremely challenged, but extremely rewarded. I, I knew there would never be a point in my life again where all I did was act sun up to sundown. So I fed off that. I loved that. But yeah, I've been out of the program since 2011 and I think about things that happened there or I learned there at least three times a week. Wow. Just the things teachers said about my appearance, about how I speak, about how I take on roles, about who I am as a person, about my childhood. There was... I came out of there the product of a lot of people's opinions. Mm. And so... In a helpful way or a traumatic way? 
We're going to go with traumatic. Yeah. Okay. I, I honestly couldn't tell when you're like, I think about it three times a week and it's all other people's opinions of me. I actually couldn't tell if that was like a positive thing or bad. So I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. So it's like a... Well, because I never want to discredit the program because it's actually, it's completely evolved into something I wish I could attend now. They're tied to a university. The faculty, a lot of them have switched over or passed on because a lot of them were very old. But so it's become, I think, a truly wonderful place. And a lot of my colleagues have, or peers from the time, have a lot of really fun memories and took away a lot of things. But I don't know that those people are still working in the industry. Interesting. Yeah. But you are. For now, you know, off and on, when you have good months, that's how yeah. this job goes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's fast forward a little bit. I know you spent some time after graduation still in New York. I know you did some background work on Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. Is that the show? Yeah. I did a full season of Boardwalk Empire. They dyed my hair brown, so you probably won't find me. <laughs> but that was my first exposure to being on a film and TV set. And I truly, anyone who, well, I shouldn't say anyone because some people really thrive on doing that work. But for me, it was the only reason I did it was to get acquainted with being on a set and learning the positions, learning the production, learning how a day goes, how a day is run, because my whole life had just been musical theater. I thought that was the end goal. And then so many things happened during my training in New York where I came out of there feeling like there was only a place for me in film and TV, that they embraced more characteristics, more variety in people. So I always, I wanted to switch to that. I wanted to pursue that. So I went to Boardwalk Empire just wanting to learn and absorb. And that's what I did. I stood there and watched and crossed through frame a few times. Yeah. And, but they were long days in period costume and watching Steve Buscemi. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, you, can't, you can't replace that. I also worked on Wolf of Wall Street. And the reason I apply, I self-submitted for that job was because I really wanted to see Leonardo DiCaprio in Jonah Hill work. So I sat in one of the wedding scenes and the receptions at a table and just watched, you know, what do they do between takes? How do they interact with Martin Scorsese? Are you kidding? Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I spent years in New York just sitting in the background watching. Yeah. But then eventually you and your... Then boyfriend, now husband, Bo, get the itch and you move to L.A., yeah? Yeah. And that it was... seems like pretty quickly things start happening. Yeah. It was completely Bo's decision, you know. Although I had several agents and casting directors and managers tell me, you look more L.A. I think you would do well in L.A. You don't look mm. like a New York City girl. And projects that are casting out of New York are looking for New York-looking people. So can we just pause and say that's a I don't know anything about your industry, but as an outsider, that's a really weird, slightly problematic phrase to say. You look like this person and you look like this person. I don't know. That's yeah, I, I suppose there's a lot of relationships with like image, you and know. Stuff, but that's a really interesting. It was the 2010s. It was sure. a different time. Sure. I, well, and maybe the, it's still now. But anyway. Yeah. But so I moved here and uh, I didn't 
my manager was not by coastal. So I had to walk away from that relationship hmm. and start fresh. So <clears throat> I started self-submitting on all the websites. I jumped into class at the Groundlings. And I really thought I was going to pursue improv. That mm. that's, that's how I was going to get discovered because people mm. told me I was funny. And so I jumped into improv. You are very funny, by the way. I can. Oh, God that's, bless. That's for sure. Anyone I've worked with would not say so because mm. I, I'm so, we'll say focused on sure. set that they don't think I'm funny. But that's beside the point. So yeah, I did class at the Groundlings and quickly moved through every level there, which at the time was a big deal because people don't pass every level. You have to do it several times over. People tend spend years going through the Groundlings and I did it just one after the other. So I was using that as leverage in every meeting I took. I was like, see, I you can submit me for this or I'm right for this. And I self-submitted for a project with Shane Dawson, the YouTuber. And it was just meant to be, I truly believe, because those kinds of submission requests don't come through on yourself anymore. You have to have an agent or manager get you the real juicy ones. But the jobs that you're able to submit for on your own are lower level, lower tier. And so I self-submitted for that. And it was like a big deal to me at the time. I got an original song written that I recorded in a studio. And that was my first time recording in a studio. And I got to work with Michael Gallagher, the director. And Shane Dawson at the time was like killing it on mm. YouTube. So I don't even think he knows this, but I really credit him for my career launch in Los hmm. Angeles because between the Groundlings and that project I did with him, the YouTube short, those were the two things that I needed to get my ticket in the door. Yeah. So after those two things had finished, I started working as a reader for a casting workshop and I loved being a reader. I, I think I'm a really good cold reader. Hmm. Uh, so it was just really rewarding to work on different characters and help other actors and listen to so many casting directors and agents feedback and get to know them on a personal level. Cause I was running coffee and moving cars and doing all kinds of stuff. So just creating personal connections with people in the industry in LA, along with my little baby credits I had opened a door and got me my manager and agent. And yeah. So that March, I really soon after we moved there, I auditioned for General Hospital. And it was supposed to be a couple episodes for what they call the Nurses Ball. It's a special musical week. It's several episodes, but they do a musical review with a lot of the characters in the cast. And it's a charity event and there's ball gowns and Shirtless Perfectly boys. Perfectly made for you, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. I literally, I was like, yeah, I'm back in high school and we're going to sing and dance and it's going to be great. And I really prepared for that audition. I learned every character on the show. There's over 70 characters, more than that if you look into the history. Yeah. And 
I did a web chart of all the different relationships. I spent time staring at interviews of the casting director just so I could get comfortable staring at his face because I didn't want to be intimidated. And so when I went into his office, it was shocking because it was one of the first times that I had a casting director just off book stare at me. I didn't go on camera. There wasn't a reader in the room. He just knew the lines and he watched me respond. And that was it. But I remember being like, oh my God, did I do my checklist? There was a casting director who once told me, if all your technique fails you, go into an audition asking, do I love you or do I hate you? And what do I want? So I was like, I walked out of the room and I was like, I remember staring into his eyes and did I obtain my objective? And I was like, I think so. I, I think so. And I had to sing acapella at the time. So I was like, oh, I think my voice was shaky, but they get the idea. <laughs> and yeah. So I got a callback and the callback, I was brought into a room with all the producers. I met Frank, the executive producer, who has turned out to be like one of my heroes and everybody was so kind and they sat on a couch and with you no know, general hospital printed on the wall placard on the wall and yeah i walked out and fingers crossed and i went out to dinner that night to celebrate with my husband because we always celebrate auditions because that's a lot of what my job is is mm. auditions and yeah some of the best work I'll ever do will never be seen by people. They happened in auditions. So we went out to celebrate and I got a call. I stepped outside from my agent and he was like, they want you. It's not going to be earth shattering. It's not going to make you. It's a good starting point. And, you know, I, I'm really proud of you. I think this is going to be great. And I was like, oh, God, you know. I still have the dress I was wearing at the time in my closet. And like, I haven't worn it since. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, now I've done 103 episodes over. I was, I was going to say, you've been playing this character for seven years, almost seven years, 103 yes. episodes. If I've got my numbers right, General Hospital just celebrated its 60 year anniversary. It has an odd, average audience of 2 million plus viewers, more than 2 million, I think. And that's probably just what they're tracking. Longest running American soap opera. What yeah. is it like to be a part of that institution and on that kind of a platform? And like, what just what's that journey been like? Uh, that's what's so ironic about remembering my agent being like, it's a couple episodes. It's going to be good for you. You'll learn a lot. And <laughs> so now looking back at seven years, it's crazy because I have so much respect for the soap opera world. Mm. Truthfully, it wasn't on my radar, but it is the best hybrid between television and theater mm. because it often is one take and moving on. The speed of filming was shocking and still is shocking. I'm a nervous wreck every time I work, but I've learned how to like utilize that and, you know, turn it into a character trait. Yeah. But... I care so much and the people who are there work so hard and are so good at what they do. Just the line memorization, you get your yeah. script, you get your script five days to a week before you shoot and you'll get changes or edits up until you shoot. They'll scrap one scene and add a monologue that, you know, you need to learn now. And, and I, you get one take. Yeah. 
That's a really big distinction, if I understand, between soap and other forms of television, right? Where yeah. you're just like constantly shooting and you're doing it one time and that's it. Yeah. Episodic or film has weeks, sometimes months of rehearsal. They have blocking. We block and then we have one run through for cameras to figure out their movements. Yeah. And then we shoot. Yeah, the specificity of what your director needs you to do physically, point A to point B or move this or, and then also making your, your character authentic has been challenging Yeah, because it, you never get the opportunity for it to be second nature. My character at this point is second nature, but every circumstance is so extreme on soap operas. I've had a brother addicted to drugs. I've written a book. I've been in so many balls. I've killed people. You know, people have died while I'm their nurse. And I buried one of my best friends. It was so, yeah, you never know how you're going to navigate what's being written for you in the future. Yeah. So it's a surprise, which is also like very rewarding and challenging as an actor because you never get bored. It, It just, it sounds to me like such a such an intense level of doing your craft and like you can bet if you're not up to par in that kind of like world you're not going to make it so obviously you talk about all this hard work and dedication and you come overly prepared it seems like in some ways that probably has to contribute to the longevity you've had so far um you know Risa, something interesting to me about the life of an actor is i think we in the general public because we have a relationship with people on our screens, I think maybe we don't have a great appreciation for what that life is like. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think people don't know or don't understand about what it takes to be an actor? The biggest thing I suppose is the finances. You have to be really good about budgeting and you'll go long periods of time without an income or a stream. And for me, example, I work part-time as a social media manager and I've done catering, I've done bartending. Because even now that I'm considered successful or, you know, that I've had some success, people think that I've made it. But I'm only on 103 episodes. There's people who have been on for 20 years and they're on five days a week. I'm recurring. So I pop in and out and I'm happy to be there when I am. Yeah. But I'm by no means like killing it, you know? I I'm just I'm so grateful for your honesty about what that's like cuz I I do think yeah, there's probably a difference in like perception versus reality. But like how do you know when you've made it or what like to you what will success be or you know, like how how do you sort of plot out your course ahead of time? Yeah, that's what I touched on with you when we spoke earlier was that I have by no means reached the pinnacle of my career. I hope, I think I'm manifesting, but there is no peak. There is, you'll always want more. You'll always, at the end of the day, I'm an artist. So there'll, there'll always be a project that interests me. There'll always be a character challenge that I'm craving, but I don't, that, that is the question for any actor. I I struggle with imposter syndrome where I don't even know 
how far I've come or. Yeah. And, well, and, and like, I guess here's a question for that point. I watched a video of you on your YouTube channel. It's you and Bo moving from New York to LA. You're in a car, you rented a big truck. Oh God. You both seem excited and giddy. I do my yeah. homework. And I guess like, what would you tell that Risa? who's just like wanting to make it as an actress that you've not like seven years later, you've been on 103 episodes of general hospital and art that you make does reach millions of people and you have a fan base. And I'm just, I don't know. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah. What would you tell that version of your younger self? And what would she think about what you've achieved in that time since? Definitely not to rely on people's opinions so much. I really learned when once I moved to LA and once I started working with casting directors that your uniqueness and your flaws is what will get you work. It's what makes you stand out. And of course, that is so obvious in retrospect. But I had for years and decades, teachers try to mold me into an ingenue or a starlet or a pinup girl or there's so many different routes that I thought I was going to go down that if you told me that I was going to be on a soap opera and have the amazing fans that I do, I would be shocked and thrilled. Yeah. It's a dream come true. And there was a moment um, when I went, oh my God, I'm like getting choked up about it, but I went back to New York for, a, um, for a fan event, um, for General Hospital. And this was in like 2018, 2017, 2018. And I went, it was in, uh, it was in New York, and I, uh, I had flown, I had been flown out there by this amazing company we were working with, and I, I got to sit next to Kristen Rogers, who is like a soap icon. <laughs> it's so weird that I'm crying, but I just have like so much respect and gratitude. Um, so... <laughs> I flew uh, the whole flight sitting next to Tristan Rogers. And then they said, you know, a car is going to pick you up. And I was like, this is it. You know, you've made it. Uh, so a black car showed up and I'm walking through the airport with Tristan Rogers and people are stopping him and hugging him. And we get in the car and this Sam Smith song was playing and we drove on I don't even know what bridge it was because I'm so bad at landmarks, but we drove on a bridge in a black car with Tristan Rogers and Sam Smith was playing on my way to a fan event to check into a hotel where they asked for my alias name because they didn't want anyone knowing where I was staying. And that moment I texted my now husband, he was my husband then, my husband and I was like, you know, th this is 
this is this is why we did this. And I guess the takeaway <laughs> is that I can only speak for myself, but I truly believe every actor, you know, is seeking validation. Yeah. So that was just an extreme moment of validation. Yeah. And then I went to the event and all these people hugged me and asked questions and took pictures with me and paid for my autograph. Like, oh, I'll give it to you for free. Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, that that is amazing. And I like I appreciate your just your honesty and your vulnerability and sharing like that kind of moment. I Yeah, I just have to imagine that keeping like both the excitement about what you have achieved but as you said you feel like you haven't reached your pinnacle yet so you still have a ways to go it must be a lot to keep those two things together and in tension with each other and they always end you know it goes in cycles yeah. you know i haven't done fan events since 2018 um so that's what keeps you or one of the things that keeps me pushing is, yeah. you know, you're you're always trying to get back. Risa, you know, I know you've had not only an impact on your fans through the art that you've made, but you have also really intentionally been super open about your mental health journey. And I was just watching your interview today on the State of Mind podcast hosted by a fellow actor, Maurice Bernard, also in General Hospital. And you go into such detail in that interview about your journey with bipolar. And I just highly encourage people to check that out if they want the full play-by-play. -play. I got so many questions for you, but first, I guess I just want to say thank you for being such an honest and outspoken advocate. Um, and I don't, I guess I was just reading through the comments. I don't, I hope you're a person who doesn't read comments generally, but I was reading <laughs> through the comments on that video and I should say it has 30,000 views on it. And somebody says, God bless you, Risa, for being so open and honest. My daughter who has bipolar also, and I met you at a general hospital fan club meeting. You were such a joy to speak with and you're such an inspiration. And I guess I just want to make sure that as much as like your art, that you also know the way that you're impacting people's lives just by being your full authentic self and sharing your story. Um, and I guess my, my question for you is like, how does your industry generally treat issues of mental health, like in your experience? And then kind of part two is like, how did you decide to talk about that so openly? And how's the reception been since? As far as the industry, I really have to credit Maurice Bernard for being a leader for me and a role model for me. I knew for years before my episode and my diagnosis that he was bipolar and he struggled with bipolar. So I, that was my only exposure to bipolar. I had never heard of it. I didn't even know how it manifested. I didn't know the symptoms or what happens when you experience a manic or depressive episode. But I saw the impact that he made 
to everybody and their lives. And to answer your question, I do receive a lot of the love and feedback for being open about my mental condition. I eventually had to stop reading comments and messages and stuff. I still dip in there every so often, but it's a lot to, I, it's a very big responsibility to offer any sort of advice or feedback on that. Every person and situation is so very different. And I would hate to misspeak and guide someone down the wrong road. Mm. So all I can do is offer my experience and my support. So I saw the love that Maurice had gotten and he's spoken about how you know, his rep, his reps told him not to come out as bipolar, yeah. to, keep, to keep it a secret. <clears throat> I did imagine there's great risk for, I mean, for anyone, but especially for such like a public facing job like yours. I still struggle to this day. If it's the right thing, I think it's the right thing because like I said, I suffered from something that I had never heard someone talk about other yeah. than Maurice Bernard. And I didn't know it could happen to young women. I didn't know. And so I debate all the time if it is hurting my career, if that's the reason I'm not being brought into rooms, Mm. because people can generalize, people can make assumptions and doubt my abilities. But truthfully, it's my superpower. The way my brain operates is different than a lot of people's. And I didn't know that until 2020. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just, I, I think so many industries just, I think our world writ large, right, just has adopted this policy of just not talking about it for so long. And I think that only hurts people. And yeah, I just want to say thank you for yeah. being you and for talking about it and normalizing it and destigmatizing it. And, Well, when I was going through it, I had a pretty public struggle. I was Instagram storying. I did posts. I did a pretty lengthy video while I was still manic. So once I did come out on the other end after I, I went through two 5150 holds. And then after that, it took, well, altogether about two years to get back to myself. But I stabilized on medication took months. And it's funny that you bring up the Maurice Bernard podcast because I still wasn't well when I did that. And I told him I would love to come back now that I feel more like myself Hmm. Um, because I was very heavily medicated at the time because that's the answer a lot of the time is to not over-medicate, but to stop yourself from harming yourself further. So it took a long time of trial with different medications and different dosages and different time of days. I tried antipsychotics. I tried mood stabilizers. So I can see in every photo, every performance, every conversation, what I was going through at the time. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, just again, thank you for like being you. And being yourself and, and sharing that both with me, but with the world. Um, yeah. Because I, th- I think there's not enough of that kind of thing. I've got a couple more things to talk to you about, and I promise I'll let you go. But one question I had for you, too, is 
Yeah. So you've had this journey on a show. By the way, I've been watching your clips and you are incredible. I also watched you on the CBS show and you're incredible in that. And so I'm just like, I agree as someone who's known you for a while and who sees the journey you've had, but also knows like kind of the star power that you do have. I'm just excited to see where you go from here. But like, if you were to think about and write the next couple of years, few years between TV and stage and comedy, what, what are some things if we're just do a little more manifesting that you're looking forward to hopefully doing someday? I live in LA, so you got to have a vision board. Yeah. We have the vision board with people's names that I want to work with. I really want to pursue. My dream job would be a workplace comedy with music, something like Zoe's Infinite Playlist. Heck yeah. I also really loved Superstore. I love workplace comedies with different characters, different point of views, different perspectives. Ab Abbott Elementary. Yeah. I think that would be a really good fit for me, and I would love to do that style. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also writing. I write a lot. Um, really? Yeah. Really? I don't know. I don't know what that'll turn into, a movie, yeah. a book. But yeah, there's, as you can tell, I'm a crier. So there's been some ups and downs on my road that I hope to share one day. But Yeah. Well, after... We stop recording. I'll, I'll pitch you all of my ideas. But the here's the workplace comedy pitch I have for you that just from news in the past couple of weeks. I just read about how New York has a rat czar, like yes. a job, right? And I was like, that, I don't know. At Space Force, Ew. my mind didn't work super well, but like rat czar has to be a workplace comedy. And maybe we can work music in there somehow. So, that would be um, so funny. Yeah. I'll send you all my pitches after this. Yeah. Do you have time for a rapid fire round? Sure. I mean, who know? Who knows? Who knows how I'll answer? I'm not. All right. Yes. The answer. Yeah? Yes. Yes. But you can decline any question. Um. Okay. Question one. You talked about Disney a lot, and I know that everybody has a full catalog of work. But what is it like acting with Xenon Girl of the 21st Century? Thank you for acknowledging the elephant in the room. <laughs> I mean. Like I said, I grew up on the Disney Channel. It, it's life. Zoom Dis Okay. It's not what it used to be, but Zoom Disney and like the Disney Channel original movies. So good. Yeah. 100%. What a time. So working with Kirsten Storms is a dream. She was actually one of the first people I worked with. She was in my very first scene on General Hospital. Mm. and. She's become a really close friend of mine on set, and she's a legend in the soap world. Like, mm. you love Xenon. Anyone who knows her from soaps loves her 10 times more. The storylines she's pulled off, amazing. Amazing. Your character, Amy Driscoll, in General mm. Hospital, writes a column slash book. Column is called Ask Man Landers. Uh-huh. Risa, would you, as Risa Dorkin, ever write an advice column? And if so, what would you call it? Okay. If it was going to be an advice column, it would be about, like, hair and beauty. It would not be about acting because acting, you can't give advice. You can get advice, but replicating or listening to someone's advice will not replicate the same trajectory as that person or yeah. as any of the people who have followed that advice before. 
it comes down to luck and talent, period. So I would not give acting advice or industry advice, show business advice. Forget that. But man, can I tell you how to have healthy bleached hair and how to, yeah, it would probably be called, oh my God, I love alliterations, but I was trying to think of Dorkin and there's not great D words with Dorkin. Yeah. We'll have to brainstorm. Yeah. (laughs) Dorkin does it. I don't know. (laughs) Dorkin does it. We coined it here. That's it. I think that people would read it. So let's 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 brainstorm. <laughs> yeah. What's the worst career advice you've ever received? To dye my hair red and get a breast reduction. And I did one of those things. Okay. okay. We're gonna let listeners guess which one it was. Any weird memories of you and I together in high school? I was just trying to think about like anecdotes or tidbits or stories or I don't know. Fun fact. I have a fun fact. Okay, great. You were my drum major when I was in color guard. True. Yeah. That's true. I think we were both in marching band. The first, I was on drum line and Mm -hmm. you were in the marching band. Yep. And then I moved to color guard and you were the drum major up on the ladder conducting Mm -hmm. like a kid. That's true. Thank you so much. My my other memory is I played your father in the musical. Oh, that's a given. Yeah. That was a great relationship yeah but i was just trying to think of like any other great anecdotes from high school since we like spent a lot of time together but i those are two good ones those are two good fun facts and anecdotes yeah and i hope more will come back to life but i don't know i've blocked a lot of high school out um can't relate any any tv shows film theater anything that like you're really loving right now that you're watching consuming anything you want to wreck the film I can't stop thinking about is The Menu on mm. Netflix. Have you watched it? Absolutely, I have. It, like, the concept blew my mind. The, de- the performances blew my mind. The delivery blew my mind. It's a play on film, so you get to see their faces up close. Yeah. Like, the fact that it all takes place in, in one room and, yeah, the performances you get from that cast is insane. And the concept of the film, I just, it ended and I was like, are you kidding Wild. Yeah. As far as TV, of course, I love White Lotus. But yeah, like I said, I watch a lot of the workplace comedies. Yeah. Do you know what two movies I, if you've seen them, I want to talk to you and everybody I can about them. I watched three movies on the plane back from holiday recently. And one was Everything Everywhere All at Once. And the other was Tar, which I like can't stop thinking about. I don't know. Both of them. Have you seen? Either, both. I've seen Tar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just want to have a little conversation with you after this. Risa, I just thank you so much for doing this. Um, What started as an Instagram comment turned into this lovely interview. And I just, I appreciate you for being you. I appreciate you for taking time out of your day to do this. I have really loved following your career from afar and your journey. And I just, I'm going to continue manifesting all the things for you because you've always been talented. You are talented. And yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to see where you go from here. Where can folks listening follow your journey from here? What are the best places to follow along? Instagram is my favorite. I love to story what I'm doing day to day and I share career highlights and life around LA. 
on there, but I'm also on Twitter for now, TBD. So, <laughs> so yeah. And but I really thank you, Joel, because like from the day I've known you, like you've always been warm and supportive and encouraging. So this makes perfect sense for you to be doing. Like hmm. you've always invested in people and their goals and their happiness. And so I really admire that. And thank you for that. That's so kind. Thank you so much, Risa. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Risa as much as I enjoyed it. It was so good to reconnect with her and just hear about what her life is like as an actress. We're now in the CODA. Um, if this is your first time listening to Connection Request, the CODA is where, yeah, I just like to share a couple of thoughts about um, what's on my mind. And uh, May, for those of you who don't know, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And because Risa was so open in sharing her story around mental health, I thought I would share mine as well. I was actually looking at uh, the National Alliance for Mental Health, Mental Illness, excuse me,'s website, NAMI.org. Um, and I didn't realize this, but National Mental Health Awareness Month, at least in the US, has been observed since 1949. And that just really blew my mind. I, I, for it to have been observed that long, it still feels like, at least in this country, we have such a long way to go of normalizing talking about mental health, um, educating especially young people about mental health, and just providing greater access, education, and awareness. But I think we've made a lot of progress, right? I think the fact that um, you see people like Risa and others out there sharing their stories, I think means we've come a long way, um, at least in my own sort of experiences in the workplace. I've even seen a change in sort of from the time I entered the workplace to now where uh, companies are taking it more seriously. They are making sure their employees have resources. They're talking about it more. But again, and I think a lot of industries and a lot of countries, I just, I think there's such a, a, a long way for us to go. Um, my own story, uh, yeah, I, I started experiencing um, some anxiety and depression in early 2021. It was kind of weird to me because it was sort of one full year into the pandemic or almost a full year. And it kind of felt like, you know, for me personally, someone of great privileges and resources, uh, things were going well overall. I was fine working from home. Uh, my partner and I live in, in you know, a great space, a great, you know, we have a backyard, we like room to, to do stuff, but I don't know, there wasn't any inciting event or incident. It's sort of just like January of 2021. All of a sudden I was just feeling really down, uh, such a lack of motivation. Um, and yeah, really anxious. And, and I guess how it showed up at, at work for me a lot where, you know, a big part of my job generally was jumping on calls, giving presentations, um, leading my team and just sort of, you know, showing up in a confident way to, to help the team through stuff. And all of a sudden 
I just didn't recognize who I was anymore. Um, I, yeah, would just get really, really nervous and anxious is the only way I can describe it, where I, I would not want to talk or present. I just like, I had trouble, um, I guess working at sort of the normal output level that I'd been used to, where I just like had very little motivation to get anything done. Um, and I'm really lucky because, uh, already had a therapist. So, you know, kind of as soon as things started feeling different, I just talked with her and, um, pretty quickly I went on medication and, you know, surrounded by, as I said, a, a wonderful partner and great friends, great family who helped me through it. But, um, yeah, for at least a few months, it was just, uh, really demotivating to kind of not see any progress. You know, generally when you go on med medication, it takes uh, weeks to kind of feel some effect. Um, yeah. And I, it, it's interesting sort of months after when I started telling more people about it at work, I, you know, even, even somebody who believes in mental health awareness, I, I didn't totally feel I could tell many people at work about it. I, I, I don't know. If I had to articulate it, maybe it was just embarrassment. But anyway, you know, don't get me wrong. Everyone was really, really supportive and, and would have been had I told them. But when I told them, after, like after things were in a little bit more stable place, nope, I, people were really surprised. They're like maybe one person, my my boss at the time, he was like, I could kind of tell something was off. He was super good about it throughout the whole time. But everybody else was like, oh, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. And I think that's so common the case um is that what is going on inside your head for you you know oftentimes people just have no idea what you're going through and it is such a um it's a thing that if you don't tell anyone and if you don't sort of intentionally seek help and talk to people uh yeah it'll be a really silent struggle and and a dark time so I, all I can do and, and advocate for you is that whatever you're experiencing and going through, if, uh, if you, or if a loved one is going through something similar, um, and there's a lot of different kinds of things, right? Mine was a, a overall on the spectrum, pretty mild, but that doesn't mean you don't need to get help. You know, I think in the u.s we have such a culture of just sort of getting through it and at least for men manning up like i just i could not discourage that attitude more strongly um and i really encourage you to to get help get treatment um there are so many amazing and wonderful resources out there uh nami nami.org is a great one um you know, especially during the pandemic and afterwards, just like getting access to uh, a therapist can be as simple as, you know, calling or texting or going online. There's all sorts of innovation in that space happening now, which I think is great. Um, but as I said, I think we still have a long way to go of just like it being totally normalized, um, fighting against stigmas and getting kind of everybody the help they need. And I, I think we'll get there, but um, all of us can play a part in in helping to raise awareness, um, 
share stories, reach out to people if you do need help. So I encourage you to do that and think about it. Um, thanks for listening to my story and, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. I, I hope we'll maybe do an episode around mental health sometime. Uh, maybe talk to a therapist. Uh, I've got some really good friends who are kind of activists in the mental health space. So maybe we'll talk to them. Pitch me an idea if you have one, because, um, it's an area I care a lot about. Okay. Thanks. That is it for today's episode of Connection Requests. If you're not already following the show, go ahead and hit follow wherever you're listening to this right now. Just want to give a special shout out to my listeners in South Africa. Thank you for listening. Please send in your favorite Disney Channel original movie, TV recommendations, as well as feedback and questions to connect at shrugcontent.com. That is connect at shrugcontent.com. If social is more your style, I'm down. Hit up on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram, or follow the show on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. As you now know, the show is produced by Shrug Content, my new company. If you want me to make podcasts or other types of sweet, delicious content for you, hit me up and let's chat. Until next time, be well, and thanks for listening. <laughs>